As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. On today's Fantasy Baseball in 15, we'll look at pitchers with the biggest improvements and the biggest declines in a key stat. Like death and taxes, Dodgers get a Dodger. I have That's not had uh, three co-brews uh, yet. It works great in a fantasy league. I'm just glad I am not at the dentist. Fantasy Baseball in 15 on The Athletic. Welcome to Fantasy Baseball in 15, presented by Topps. Check out Topps Project 70, celebrating 70 years of Topps baseball cards. I'm Al Melker here with Derek Van Riper. It's Thursday, September 30th, our penultimate fantasy baseball in 15 DVR. Hard to believe. Hard to believe, but we have made it through the season. Well, not quite. It is the penultimate. We will have the ultimate show on Friday. (laughs) Hopefully it will be the ultimate show, but uh, uh, we've got uh, plenty of streamers for you, streamers uh, to to consider for the the Thursday slate. And we're going to continue our series uh, that we've uh, been doing all week, looking at year-to-year changes in certain stats. Uh, So we've got a really interesting one to break down for you today. But before we get to that, DVR, let's look at this uh, healthy crop of streamers on the Thursday slate couple of streamer versus streamer games. Uh, Brett Anderson and Jay Happ starting in uh, the Brewers-Cardinals game. And Alex Cobb and Glenn Otto for Angels-Rangers. So one of those deals where they both get good matchups. Uh, Joe Ryan gets the Tigers. Tony Gonsolin gets the Padres. Justin Steele is at Pittsburgh. And Tyler McGill gets the Marlins at Home. I think these are all pretty interesting pop possibilities, uh, including Glenado, who has a really ugly ERA, but has actually put up some really nice starts and gets a good matchup. So just to recap here, Anderson, Hap, Cobb, Otto, Joe Ryan, Gonsolin, Steele, McGill. Is there anybody you don't like here? Yeah, I think I'd be careful with Steele, even though it's a good matchup. And I'm not totally sold on Anderson and Hap in terms of workload. I, I think... Anderson's had a lot of injury issues, just hasn't pitched all that well in the last few weeks. So I, I think I'm more out on him even than Hap by comparison. I think I would prioritize Cobb probably first of this bunch with Tony Gonsolin likely a close second. Joe Ryan right up there near the top of the list as well. And I think McGill and Otto are kind of mid-pack that I'm leaning towards using. So all in all, I think it is a pretty good streaming day for a Thursday especially. 
Yeah, it really is. And yeah, that's kind of an uh, uh, an interesting pairing, McGill and Otto, because both have had some really, really bad starts recently, but some good ones in there too. And they both have really favorable matchups. So uh, kind of intriguing to think about, uh, but you have lots of options here. So let's uh, look at another stat DVR all week long. We've been looking at how certain players have either done much better this year or much worse compared to 2020 in terms in terms of some uh, some meaningful stats. This is a pitcher stat: strikeouts versus walks percentage. That I've heard uh, several analysts cite as their favorite. And certainly, if you go and you look at the leaderboard, especially the 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 players at the very top. I mean, it's really hard to argue with the value of the stat. There's a lot of, of confirmation here in the rankings. Corbin Burns, Max Scherzer, Carlos Rodon, Garrett Cole, Robbie Ray, that's your top five. Um, if you look at the bottom, I think it's it's a little bit more mixed because you have some pitchers at the bottom, uh, like Adrian Hauser, for example, who we've talked about this week, who um, you know uh, doesn't have a great gap between strikeout and walk rate, but is really good at managing contact. So it, it's worked for him at least for this season. So, uh, well, let's let's start with the uh, top pitchers again. We're not talking about overall K minus BB rate, but improvement uh, over last year. So Dylan Cease at the very top, going from a three point nine percentage point gap last year to twenty two point five this year. So huge improvement for him. Robbie Ray second, uh, Logan Webb third, Eric Fetty fourth. Uh, really just by virtue of him having a horrible ratio in 2020 as well as in 2019. And Zach Wheeler at number five. So who who interests you out of this group? I guess naturally Eric Fetty just because of the names you mentioned, I expected everyone else to sort of be a part of this conversation based on the season they had. I haven't thought nearly as much about Fetty as I've thought about those other pitchers. There's opportunity in the back of the Nats rotation. When you look at the surface numbers for Eric Fetty, a 526 ERA and a 141 whip, no, that's not going to pull you in. Um, you look at projections that are very similar to that, those probably aren't going to get a whole lot better for next season. But this is the highest strikeout rate we've seen so far in his career, and it's the lowest walk rate we've seen so far in his career. So most of the issue appears to be trouble with the long ball. Nationals Park definitely boosts that. It's a bad weakness to have pitching half your games in D.C., but I think there's actually a chance that in deeper leagues, mostly NL-only leagues especially, you know, if Fetty breaks camp as a member of the Nationals rotation, he's going to probably go as more of like a dollar days guy or even a reserve round pick in leagues like that, and he might actually be more valuable. He might be a 5 to $7 pitcher. So for really deep leagues, for deep dynasty leagues even, there could be a little something here still. Uh, I don't know if there's a massive breakout. I don't know if we're ever going to get a high threes ERA, 125 whip strikeout per inning season from Fetty. But there are pitchers who are below that level who do still provide us at least situational value. Well, and something I've pointed out recently about Fetty on some other episodes, but I'll, I'll underscore it here, is that you mentioned the ERA 5.26. Uh, his ER estimators are... Typically much more optimistic, his XFIP 4.06 and his Sierra, and I apologize because I have to do a little scrolling here, uh, 4.29. So you, know, you can work with that certainly a lot better than something that's that's over five. Uh, I just want to highlight a couple of other pitchers who are right behind Fetty and, and again, Zach Wheeler. And actually just talk about Zach Wheeler real momentarily here, because if you recall going back to March when we were all preparing for drafts, Zach Wheeler was a really hard pitcher to figure out because he came off the season last year where he wasn't getting many swings and misses, not a lot of strikeouts. The K-BB was 12.8 percentage points. 
Uh, this year, not only did better and had positive regression, he kind of blew away his his past uh, seasons uh, with the 23.7% gap. So how, how do you deal with him going into uh, 2022? You know, I, I think the one other change that he made that is really interesting to me is that he increased the usage of his slider, which is a great pitch for him because it gets him lots of swings and misses. And with Wheeler... I actually trust most of this as as real. I think the worst thing about his profile is having to deal with Philadelphia for home starts. It's such a difficult yeah. place to pitch that if he begins to have some issues with the long ball, it would seem to me it would be more like a park-related problem. That could be the way that he gets closer to a low or mid-three sort of ERA. But I think this is actually the profile of a legitimate top-10 starting pitcher. There are some pretty significant injuries in his past. So I would say there's above average injury risk, even if he's not a, a massive red flag sort of guy. Uh, but the thing that I really like the most in his profile, in addition to that slider change, is that this is the best walk rate we've seen in his entire career. Even last year when things weren't going as well as they should have been in the underlying numbers, there was that sort of improvement there. So he's held good control going all the way back to 2019 now. So I think he absolutely owns that skill, and he's at least going to be a strikeout printing guy if not even a little better than that, like he has been this year, as long as that pitch mix change holds up. Yeah, it will be interesting to uh, to ponder that in the offseason. And then, yeah, I want to just uh, quickly mention the two pitchers that are right behind him in these standings, Anthony Desclafani. I forgot that he was really pretty bad in 2020, and it was in, in very limited innings. I think it was about 32, 33 innings. Uh, and then seven, Julio Rios, who finds himself on this list, not really because of strikeouts, but because of a much lower walk rate. So you talked about that with Wheeler, uh, with this being a more recent development for Rios. Is this uh, something you buy going into next year? Yeah, for the most part, I I do. I I think the K rate might be maxed out based on what we're seeing right now. I mean, maybe he adds another pitch, maybe gets another tick of velo or something and and that changes my tune. I'm a little worried that he's going to be overpriced going into 2022 based on the success that he's had this year. A 364 Sierra gives me just a little bit of pause for a guy that pitched to a 301 ERA through 179 in the third innings this season. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep. You heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right. Well, let's flip this around and look at the pitchers on the bottom of the leaderboard. That is those who have the smallest gaps between, uh, well, I should say the the smallest changes in their gaps between uh, strikeouts and walks. And not too surprisingly, at the very, very bottom here, Zach Plezak coming off the short season where he had a big strikeout breakout and then regressed right back to where he had been two years ago. Kenta Maeda, uh, also not surprising to see him at the bottom there. Third pitcher here I think is worth maybe talking about a little bit, Zach Davies, because he had an apparent breakout in 2020. And not only did he regress and and maybe a little bit more than just regressing uh, towards his usual numbers, but he went right back to his previous pitch mix where he was throwing a lot more sinkers again. And that's a bit of a head scratcher to me why uh, you would take a pitcher who with San Diego, you know, did something that worked so much better 
And then with the Cubs, have him go back to something that didn't work as well. Yeah, I'm not really sure what the answer is going to be for Davies long term, but 2021 looks an awful lot like 2019 in terms of his underlying numbers. And it's worse because the walk rate is at that career high 11.2%. I think that's abnormal in the sense that I don't think that's going to be a massive skills flaw for him going forward, but his margins for error are so small to begin with. And I know he's outperformed his Sierra on a few occasions already, so we can't look at advanced numbers like that and just say, yeah, he's broken. He's not going to get it back. But I do think it's going to take an opportunity to stay in a pitcher-friendly environment, which is not a guarantee. I believe Davies is a free agent this offseason. And you know you're just not going to get a lot of strikeouts. Like Even when things are going well, he's generally been a 17-18% K-rate guy, which is about 6.5-7 per 9. So he needs a high volume of innings to be even kind of an average fantasy pitcher for us. So I think this is going to be an interesting offseason for him because I don't know what adjustments he can make other than kind of regressing his control back to his previous career levels. Yeah, or maybe, you know, tinkering with the pitch mix somehow to get more swing and miss. Uh, yeah, it's he's definitely a, a strange case uh, going into next year. Um, the next two pitchers on the list are Astros, and one is very surprising to me. Framber Valdez um, didn't expect because he had a very good season, but a lot of the, the, the quality uh, performance he owes to a 70% ground ball rate, which is just incredible. And, you know, for somebody who does throw a lot of sinkers, a decent strikeout rate, but the uh, the walk rate got elevated from what he showed in 2020. So hence, uh, Romper Valdez is on this list. But DVR, I've got a really specific question for you about Valdez. That um, strikeout to walk differential got, got uh, smaller over the final month. So in September so far, just a 4.6 K minus BB. 4.6%. Does that worry you at all? Or, or maybe is that something you take encouragement from and you look at the, the larger portion of the season and realize it wasn't wasn't that bad? I've got some concerns. I mean, I, I think with Framber Valdez, we, we haven't seen him log this many innings in a season before. I think even going back to the minors, the 129 and two-thirds innings that he has this year is a career high. So maybe fatigue is starting to set in on him a little bit. Uh, I think it's interesting that for the massive walk rates he showed us upon arrival you know, back in 2018 and 2019 what he did in the shortened season that did seem unsustainable i almost think the skills look like they've regressed into a level that i'm much more comfortable with going forward if he's a a 10 percent k percentage minus bb percentage guy with that ground ball rate i think that can work but i think it's more likely to be a mid to high three zra with a ratio with a whip ratio that's slightly worse than what we're accustomed to for pitchers at that range. I think it's more like a, a 130 whip. Uh, plenty of Ks because he's still missing enough bats. Doesn't give a lot of home runs. You can get by. You, if you, you walk guys at the clip that Valdez walks them at, it's okay if you don't give up home runs. And I think that's a skill that he's owned really everywhere he's pitched. All right. Well, and like I said, there's another Astro here at number five in this ranking. Zach Granke. And I don't think it's any secret uh, to those of us in fantasy that Granke is no longer a strikeout pitcher. Definitely some, some pretty serious decline this year. But I think it may be worse than maybe you, you would re, than one would realize if you just look at the fantasy stats because he's got a low BABIP rate. On pitches in the zone, the contact rate against Granke is 90.4%. That is, that's pretty bad. So he's allowing a lot of contact, particularly in the zone where it's dangerous. 
and the Astros have a really good uh, good defense. And I wrote about this earlier in the season, how I think that the staff as a whole really benefit benefited from this. Greinke's going to be a free agent. So how do we deal with this? I don't know if he's going to land another team. This could be retirement time for Zach Greinke. If he wants to pitch, I'm sure there's teams that will give him an opportunity. I'm not sure I'm going to go after him. I think there's a lot of similarities to the flaws that Zach Davies has right now with the key differences. I think Grinky's secondary arsenal is deeper. It's a low velocity fastball. It's a good changeup. And it's a question of whether or not he can throw the breaking balls more or make those pitches more effective if he's actually going to bounce back and get the ERA under four again. But I don't really expect that to happen at this point because he's already got enough things working in his favor in Houston to believe that if it could happen, it would have happened this year. All right. Yeah. No, I think that's very true. And uh, right after him, just one last pitcher here, Marco Gonzalez, um, compensated for, uh, you know, being on this list and um, not having the great walk rate that he had last year, never really being a great strikeout pitcher by getting a lot of pop-ups, high fly balls, uh, you know, living on a low BABIP in a way that's maybe not as defense dependent as uh, Granky. So something to consider uh, for Gonzalez going into next season. But uh, we're out of time. This is a 15-minute show. So that's going to be all for this episode of Fantasy Baseball in 15. We thank you for tuning in. And uh, we will be back uh, with one more episode. So for Derek Van Riper, I'm Al Melker, and we will be back for that episode on Friday. 